And we're on. Welcome back to the Race Brothers Podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Rabbi Klein. Awesome to be here. It really is. And I'll tell you, it's the first time in a while that Yaakov and I have been together recording a podcast. So that's also huge. And the fact that all three of us are together, it's mamish like next level. A little background. Yerli and I first met in 11th grade in Shar Hatayra in Queens. The Heliger Zelagabstein. A while back, yeah. And then... And uh, all right, so we were in high school together. Sacha call a year and a half because I left early. Felt a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, people ask me, where do you go to high school? I went to Shahar Tyra. I go, well, I was only there from like Hanukkah of 11th grade till Pesach of 12th grade, but that was my high school. <laughs> Amazing. And then we came to Eretz Yisrael and we were in different yeshivas, but we were always, always, you know, all the extracurricular activities we did together. Everything, yeah. I remember my first year, I had a list of where I was every single Shabbos. I don't know why, but it was like something that I kept. And it was just like Medrash, 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 Natanya, Medrash, 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 you know, somewhere else. I was by you almost every Shabbos. You had a little Dira with like Harnov thing, Harnov by Akiva. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. It was a good time. Yeah, and then at some point we ended up learning together. Oh, we ended up learning together in, in the mirror. We learned together. We learned together, I think, first by um, in the old city. Okay. Or of um, Citron. Or of Citron. Right. I was thinking fruit, fruit, fruit. <laughs> I knew there was a C in there. Or of Citron. That was Kvaldic. We Yeah. Just quickly reminisce because we just started over here in Navi Chabura. Mm-hmm. And we started with Hoshea. Why do we start a Shayatriya, sir? It happens to be when I first came to Rav Sitron, you were already learning there. And and I got up to when I got there, you guys were starting Treyasar. Uh-huh. So the first Navi I learned there, like serious Navi learning, was Hashaya. We ended up going through Treyas. We went through a bunch of Navium together. Wow. And um, and it's like, you know what? Let's start, let's start Treyasar. But also we really started Treyasar because um we figured that. Treyasa, are you starting something new? You like to finish things, you know? You like to like, right. you get a geschmack when you finish. So Treyasa is like a bunch of little Nevi'im and you could finish them and, and it gives you chiyas to keep going. Right. You, fin- oh, you finish a shay, it's only 14 program. Your shay is 60 something, right? Yeah, you get like, bogged down sometimes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it actually has been amazing learning it. First of all, Yaakov's like Kavalt Magic here, but it's, it's so interesting getting into like learning Navi and seeing where Amisrael was back then and seeing the crazy differences from our perspective now learning it. Like even imagine what it was like for a Yidla a thousand years ago learning learning Hashaya, sitting like let's say in Europe, right? In some little shtetl, there's muddy streets, the winters last forever, the summer, I don't even know if it, they had color, it was all black and white. <laughs> and like everything stunk. And and like they're like a thousand years out of out of you know out of Bayashani like suffering under the, you know, the Christian, yeah. like pogroms and yeah, everything yeah. was just like, was just dark. And then, and then you're learning like Kaisha and like Hashem and the Nubby's like, you guys did this wrong and you did that wrong. And, and God is so pissed off at you. And, and what's wrong with it? Like, just like, what do you do now? We're like, yeah, like Hashem was really angry. And, but now we're back in Eretz Yisrael. Like it's a whole, it's a whole different perception. It's a whole different angle. Sounds like going to high school. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> By the way, I always think about how how it's totally like the progression. Like when it's a little kid, the father's like yelling at him, they're wrong. But then at some point, you know, getting to the teenage years, like you know, the parents that make it through are the ones that start listening to twisted parenting, start listening to Rabbi Kalish, you start learning that you just have to love and respect your kids, you know. Yeah. But it's uh it's not much a whole nother a whole nother game, you know. Game. Right, right. Also makes it easier because when you hit the like the psukum of Nechama, it feels it feels real. Right. Like, uh, he's talking like is talking the whole time to the Sarasashvat and mostly you're gonna be gone and eventually I'm gonna bring you back. And now suddenly we live in Eretz Yisrael and it's like people are like, oh, we're B'nai Dun, we're coming back. We're B'nai Menashe, we're coming back. We're B'nai Ephraim, we're coming back. It's like, okay, I don't know, but that's our tradition and they look different than you or me and they're coming back from far away places. It's like... And we're sitting here. We're sitting here in Eretz Yisrael. We're drinking, you know, Israeli co coffee where, you know, all of the, like the beers that we have are all brewed in Israel. Like the wines, you go into the, a wine store and you like you read about, oh, it's going to come a time. And your mom is like, we're drinking, we're drinking Eretz Yisrael Dika wines. We're chilling in, on an Eretz Yisrael Dika porch. Yeah. It's, an, it's a big schuss. Unbelievable. Yeah. You probably feel it even more, Yerli, because you've, you've been like back and forth to America. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years. I'm like, like, yeah. I mean, just skipping from the introduction to the, to the present day. Um, so Baruch Hashem, I'm married a bunch of years now, 15 years, something like that. And uh, we started off our first 11 years here. Had a bunch of kids, Kanai Nahara. And for various reasons, we ended up moving back to the States after year 11. And we were there for two years, which you did also, I think. Yeah. Two or three years. And we were there for three and a half years. Three and a half years. That's also. You know what? It gives you a lot more perspective than most people. Yeah. You know, the Olim, they have like, oh, the beautiful life in America and they come here and hopefully, you know, they go through all that stuff and hopefully they make it. But like to go back and forth and back and forth, that's a unique perspective that not everyone has. And so, yeah, we went back for two years and then we came back after that. Now we're here for finishing up our third year here back. And again, you know, people ask me, wow, you live in Israel. I was like today, you know, like Hashem should help, you know, like living okay. in Israel is, the biggest the biggest thrill, the most energetic thing in the world. And it's also with tremendous challenges for Olim, at least, you yeah. know. Um, my wife always says, you know, if you're Israeli, it's a lot easier. You, know, you have your family, you have your culture, you have a lot of things that are just natural to us. We have, for better or for worse, we're naturally Americans. And because of that, it's, uh, it's always seemingly an adjustment. We're immigrants. We're immigrants, yeah. It's not easy being an immigrant. We we all those people in America that no speak English. Mm, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. And our kids are like, Dad, can you stop talking? You know, like I'm in front of my friends here. You know? Totally. <laughs> and we are there. Uh, come on, come on, Exactly. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a world. Uh, it's a it's an experience. It's a it's an adjustment back and forth. But the, the interesting thing is that from what I what I got from from a lot of that is that like the first year that we moved back to the States after being here for so many years, seeped in the Kedusha and the Tahara and the Simcha and the Israel, first year was Gehenna. It was so hard. Even though we had a nice house and we had two cars and we had family and we had schools and like every Costco, Target, uh, Walmart, you know, we had everything. But it was so difficult the first year because we were just like, hello? 
hello, is anyone alive here? Hello, hello, you know. I remember that it's actually now it's a great time. It's Lag Bomer. Uh, like my kid, they went to school this week. This we were from back the first week we were in America for, for Pesach. And they're just like super pumped already from Sunday. They're like all day schlepping wood and like everything's about the Madura and everything. And like it hurts to show like Momer is like it's like a month, you know. It's like and you cannot go anywhere without feeling the, the America. You won't notice anything really. And then comes like Bomer. This was the first year we were there. And we went to like Willow Tree Park. And they had like seven firemen standing right near there, guarding all the children who was like 40, 50 children, a lot of children and parents. And they were like eating marshmallows. And don't put that stick in, put it over there. Okay, a stick, another stick, another stick. You know, like it was like, whoa, it was an intense experience. And then like the kids were like, I remember the next day, Baruch Hashem, my parents live in Muncie and they have a forest in the backyard, which we'll probably get to because it's a lot of stuff that happened in that forest. And a lot of it has boated this, that's what I mean. And I was sitting there in the forest the next morning, the next day, the next morning, afternoon. And I just remember like just burst into tears and I was just like, Hashem, where am I? <laughs> like, like, even if you're not a Miro, it's like, I like, there's just nothing. I remember the first year was all like that. And then the second year, it was very interesting because I kept telling Rav Kenig, Rav Kenig was my Rav, we'll speak about him, but I kept like asking him the whole first year, like, can we go back now? Like, we, we did our time, we, we moved to America, we see it's nice, it's comfortable, it's great, but can we go back? He was like, stay. He kept telling me to stay. And I was like, okay, now we can go back, stay. Like, and I stayed and then the second year all of a sudden things started like calming down and we started getting into like that American groove where like you know things are flowing and you're like figuring it out and you're making your seder and and then all of a sudden we were like we were like pretty calm and then at that point I spoke to him once and we still had that desire to get back to ourselves and he was like Run. and we were like yay and we just said, okay, we're packing up. And we started making all the preparations to run back there to Israel. And Baruch Hashem Basof, we did it. And ironically enough, that whole second year, we kept getting more and more comfortable. And so when we came, it was already, we weren't sad to come. But it was an interesting experience because we were in such a good place. And then to come here, it was just interesting, you know. And uh, you had to unplug from the American, American. Uh, yeah, outlet. yeah. What did you draw out of that? That like that this chain of events that when you were not settled there, you wanted you to stay, and then once you felt settled, Rav Kenning said it's time to come back. Like, what did that say? Like, what did you draw out of this? So the lesson that I learned, which I think has been proven wrong by experience, <laughs> is that um, again, this is my my conjecture in my mind of what I think he might have been doing was that maybe he wanted us to feel that to feel that you know like you could live you know it's not bad to have a home that functions it's not bad to have cars it's not bad to have a life that actually is good physically and is set up and is calm and is so I learned from that I was like maybe that's what he was trying to say like go back to Israel and try to do that for yourself and he did mention that he was like set yourself up nice you know take care of things make sure that's like and I guess like my wife likes to point out I kind of failed in that sense because we came back and it's chaos 
<laughs> just utter chaos. We moved six times in two months. We had a baby. We had, it was just very chaotic. And uh, so in my mind, I was like, yeah. And my wife is also like that. Like, yeah, we're going to set up our shiram. We're going to have proper exercise. We're going to eat properly. And we're going to shop properly. And it doesn't always work out like that. And I just, oh, like, I'm not going to say that line that everyone tells me. It's something that me silly. You know, like, and my wife both, like, don't give me the Surin deal, like, enough. But there is a uh, liveliness to Eretz Yisrael, and uh, I don't know how to describe it, that kind of has taught me that, I'm not sure, not quite sure how to balance it yet. I feel like it's when, when you're changing it up, like it requires, it, I mean, the line of Eretz Yisrael and Nicholas Biasurin is very real. I think it maybe has a lot of negative feelings surrounded to it because there's a lot of pain but you need to be absorbed like when you add when you graft uh, uh, let's say a tree together like it goes it's trauma it's traumatic for the tree and until until it actually catches and then you're able to you know be yonic in the proper way like it requires it like you know sometimes when you when you change the the connections you have to put in new washers new o-rings like as a, you know, from a plumber like uh it requires a, a adaption, adaption. And, and and going back to, to like an original place, like an original chuva, it's not easy. It's not. And it, and it does, you know, and, and doing it twice, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. What were you about to say? No, I was just, you started talking about transplant. Yeah. That automatically <laughs> the same made me think of Rav Koenig. Yeah. So with, well, with, with the muscle that he was giving yeah. also, yeah. is that basically when you grasp something, not an easy connection and <clears throat> as the story goes we'll work backwards a little bit right but rev kennig was in america in muncie uh in 2005 right let's let's re let's, let's rewind. rewind yeah how did okay. you meet okay yeah right how did, how did actually how did we get involved with all this right why do you <laughs> exactly right yeah. wait what right, happened wait, those, when you were in high school <laughs> how'd you end up wanting to be an air I, right. I i tell that to everyone like they're like so like, had you compressed? I was like, I went to the mirror. Excuse me. I was like, yeah, of course. If you go to the mirror and you have like that spiritual soul, you're gonna become Breslin. <laughs> That's what happened. I mean, it's amazing how many Panavishers, how many Breslivers learn than Panavishers. Yeah, exactly. the old, like the, the older, older generation. Like, yeah. So many of them, you're like, really? Uh -huh. How'd that happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, that was what it was. Like, high school was an interesting experience, to say the least. Um, put it this way, when I arrived in Israel at 18, actually the day of, the day before I left Israel to Israel at 18, I turned 18, two days before, I, August 15th, my birthday is August 13th, I turned 18, so I went to 7-Eleven and I bought a pack of cigarettes the first time with my ID, you know, like, obviously, you know, you can buy a pack of cigarettes any other way, but with an ID, it was like, and like the, the Pakistani guy was like, oh, happy birthday, and he was like so excited, he has another customer, and I was like, dude, I'm leaving, and Two days to Israel, you're never gonna see me again. But uh, you know, but yeah. but you I catch that interaction on your video camera. <laughs> Another point, yeah. We used to video. Uh, that was a little bit before the video days. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I went to Israel, and when I went there, I had a, a bit of the Rabbi Akiva at the early stages of biting the ears off of Talmud Chachamim syndrome. I wasn't exactly happy. And like literally within a week of being in base Israel and uh, Neveyakov, I was just like, you know, 
I love these people. I love rabbis. I love Israel. It was just like a very beautiful experience, like melted me. Uh, it took a couple of years till I got into learning and all that stuff, but eventually, Baruch Hashem, it caught and it worked, and I went through that process, and then I went to the mirror, and then it was just like, like, whoa. Like, like I was just, it was a very big crash. Oh. It was a crash. I wasn't sure if that was you diving into something. No, no, no. It was a crash. It was a crumble and a crash. Wait, so you did like the standard American flip out in base? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even like this is like before I even met. You. Yes. You're you're the younger brother. I am the younger that. brother. I, I have and I have no no qualms about it. <laughs> like no qualms. Like everybody knows Yaakov's the older one, I'm the younger one. They only know after you say that right. because when they meet us, they think I'm the younger brother and you're the older brother. You know, you know, it's funny, like I find it always like it's beautiful and funny, but like, you know, when when your kids like, you know. So my kids, like, they have, like, oh, that, that's a, my 11-year-old. He's not going to play with the 8-year-old. It's so stupid. But when they're 89 and he's 86, right. he's like, you know, they'll, they'll play, you know. So, like, now I don't even know how old, much younger you are than us. But right. we're all we're all Exactly. Here. Back then, when you were in high school, I was still in elementary school. Exactly. But yeah. now already, and also Yaakov was also, like, a grade older. Right. Yaakov a year younger. At least a year and a half. Right. So, yeah, I always tell people, Yaakov's, like, Really, all the Torah that I know is really like I got through the cleaner of Yaakov, especially Breslov, which we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get in. Right, right. So that's basically what so you happened. flipped out in base. Flip out in base. Pretty, pretty classic stuff. Like yeah. Hardcore yeshivish, black hat. I wouldn't say yeshivish. Yeah, yeshivish would not be a term that I could you ever put on associate. Black, you put on a down black hat? I did the black hat, but at that time I put like a very short rim, which wasn't in style then. Right. But it was enough different that I wasn't. So let's make a statement. Yeah. I don't even remember you in a black and like yeshiva hat at all. Yeah. I don't think I wore it more than davening ever. Um, but I was like part of that mahalach. Like, right. you know, I did put on the white shirt and black pants yeah, in third yeah. year. Second year, I was still doing like the plaid shirts, you know, whatever you can get away with in base. And uh, yeah, it was like first year, I actually, ironic, not ironically, but. I guess, um, I don't know the generations anymore, X, V, D, I don't know, you know, they're all labeled nowadays, but I did nothing first year other than not such good things in base. And then, uh, and then second year I started learning only then. And, but then I was just literally like, I spent the entire learning Rabbi Arya Kaplan. Like that was basically what I learned the whole year, just Rabbi Arya Kaplan. Went through all his books and like Ramchal and like just yeah. and everything. Come on, I was just still like, whoa buzzed out from and then third year I really put myself into the Gemara learning which was amazing it took me like two months from when I like kind of stopped watching television and movies and all that stuff till like the scenes stopped flashing through my eyes and I was actually able to focus on the page but then I was able to learn third year and it was amazing wow. and then uh yeah and then I did, took the leap to the mirror and the crash down shortly thereafter of just whoa and obviously, there's nothing to do with the mirror, you know, because the mirror is a wonderful place. Nassim Sfi was there, you know, it, it's it's a beautiful place. But like coming from where I was coming from, it was just, there was no one there for me. And yeah. the people around me were all like intense and like trying to find a seat and fight. And like, and also in Veyako, where I was, it was beautiful. I saw the seven mountains of Yerushalayim. I was in a city. I couldn't handle it. A monkey guy. Kids are so that caused a lot of darkness and depression and from that i just started just searching and seeking and what time of year did you make the jump it's funny because i remember dates why because like postscript they were 
interesting dates. So I remember one day it was a Sarabatavis, which later I found out was Reb Nussin's yard site. Right. And I remember it because I was fasting and I was so depressed and it was pouring rain. You know, for, for many years we had drought that year, just rain the whole winter. It was, I remember just being wet all winter. And I was standing there in Minnesota, I'm like, and I was on the phone with my dad and I was like, I was just talking to him. And I was close to the Kiva for already four years and the Kiva always was like, Rislav and this and that, you know, like everything's about like living Yiddish guys and Hasidus and everything, but I never connected to anything. It was just the Kiva, it was a party, you know, it was like, obviously it had a lot to do with me becoming from and like grabbing onto it, but it was never focused in any way. And, but I knew that there was something there. Like, yeah, can I just jump in? Yeah, you just please. brought up a memory yeah. of Hanukkah, one of those years, first year, second year, I don't know, in Akiva's, Akiva and Dina's apartment on Mishkalov, and the we had a little one. Hanukkah party. Maybe you just five, six people, me, you, Navi Preter, Akiva. And I remember we put on Nanach, like um, old um, Israel Dagan Nanach tapes, like pumping music. And I remember dancing for like an hour. <laughs> just a few, maybe six guys, I don't know. The one across the street from where he is now. Yes. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. and that was, and we didn't know nothing about Breslov, but. I remember that. There's something there that just, we just danced and danced. It was one of the happiest nights. I remember that night. That was a good memory. So, yeah. This is you and this is mirror time. But this is before that. Even. Probably before. before yeah. This was, must have been before, wow. yeah. Maybe around the same time. Who knows? But, um, yeah, so then. Basically, I remember on Asarabatevis, I was speaking to my dad on the phone, wet and miserable. And I was like, I think I'm going to just start like, uh, like looking into breasts of what do you think about that? He was like, I'm okay with that, but don't learn the Kutimaran. <laughs> okay. You know, and I'm very respectful to my parents. I honor them and tremendously treasure what they say, even though necessarily, you know, I wouldn't give that advice. But from where my father's coming from, he grew up Satmar and he went out and worked and everything. And he just knows that people that learn the Kutimaran come to go and right. It's obvious, you know. So and stay with the Rabyakamir Shah. Stay with the normal people. I was like, okay. So I kind of got like this like Tsvi He didn't know who Tsvi was. Oh. Yeah. But you just yeah, like that, Mir is like he's like right. the most respected breast lover in the Yeshivisha world, like for years now, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he's the name you could throw around. Yeah. Years later, I was speaking to Rabbi Elephant, my Rebbe in the mirror, and he was like telling me, like, that's your clothes. She has Oh, okay, good. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're good. You get a pass. Yeah, you get a pass. You're okay. So I got a little, a little tour to like go, to go down that path, which I felt good about, but I still didn't know where to go, what to do. So at a certain point, I remember, I don't know who had a Sikha Saran. And I just like opened it up. I, my Hebrew skills were very poor at that point. So I just couldn't understand what, and I was, I never remember how to see this in my life. And I just didn't understand what the Rebbe was talking about. I just didn't understand anything. So I felt very like inadequate and I didn't learn it. And then one day I finally made it to the breast of the store there in the bottom of the shul in Meisharim. And David was there. I like till this day, he always loves he goes, he, like, whatever he, he, he pulls over another guy, goes, Who made you best? Of? I was like, All right, you did. <laughs> I see. Uh, I walked in there, I was like, David, do you have, any, like, do you have anything like for Sikhas Iran, like a Pirush that I can understand? He goes, Sikhas Iran, but that's Pirush, like that's as simple as it gets. 
I was like, I don't understand. He goes, I'm gonna read English. And he gave me the, the Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, and I bought that book there. And wow, the next like two months, I was just reading piece by piece in English. But you were into of Arya Kaplan somehow. The leap to I was just about wisdom. To, I was just about to say that it's so funny that I we like I also went through the Rabbi Arya Kaplan phase, and then only later did I find out that he was the writer of all these rest yeah. of the books. Because in the Rabbi Arya Kaplan world, you don't read the. Those like right. I knew much quicker that he did a, the. You don't read them. You don't even know about them. Right. 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 Derek Hashem, Derek Hashem by Rabbi Kaplan, like that. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, he did the translation, and like of course I learned that one also because it was Rabbi Kaplan when you do that whole stage. But the Breslov stuff, I had no clue. And you're like, wait, he was really Breslov. Even the Hasidic ones, right? Hasidic masters. Right. I didn't even know about that one. It was like, we had like the start with the anthologies, right. and then even meditation, like oh. Look, Rabbi Kaplan opens this whole world. The light but beyond. The Hasid, yeah, the light beyond. But the Hasidah, suddenly you're like, whoa. And then the breast. I, I, yeah. For years, didn't know that he was a breast Wow, you just gave me a major chuka, by the way, to go read through all of his books again. <laughs> I you know. Do that. I've had those, those thoughts also. They're the best. Even my kid just become bar mitzvah, and I was like, I should learn that book to fill in with him. Like, what am I doing? And I, I just haven't had the opportunity to do it yet, but I still want to do that. Yeah, I did it with Shlomo. I, I, so I have like good. one of Rabbi Kaplan's books. I don't even know where they all are. Like I had them and then you, know, you lend them out. Yeah. But the one I still have is uh, Automate Yerushalayim. And mm. I, I've read that a lot to my yeah. kids. Like, wow. Gone through that. Yeah. Yeah. He's. Yeah, that's filling one is so good because it goes so normal. And exactly. Before that, I also I went through with Shlomo. I did Rabbi Kito about becoming Bar Mitzvah and Rabbi Kaplan. And also the basic ideas of like what God is and who Hashem. Like these things are so essential. Yeah. Anyhow, sorry anyway, sidetrack. Yeah, no, there was no sidetrack. There would be no no path. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, the the so basically that's what that's what led me. And during that period of time, it was like also oh, a big you know upheaval in my life. You know, just what am I doing? Who am I? That was like the big question, and a lot of introspection and a lot of reading through that stuff. And as I just kept reading through that and some more breast of storm and stuff, I just I just felt this was me. Like there was no, like everything that the Nachman was speaking about was exactly the way I approach things, the way I would want to learn things, the way I want to live my life. So I just, it was so, um, it was so validating and guiding that it, it was just unbelievable. And then the reason why I say it is that I still had no connection to like breast love in any organized structure until Tuvishvat, which I found out later was Rabnasan's birthday. So on Tuvishvat, I decided that I'm going to go to the breast of Shul there in Meisharm. It's a four-minute walk from Yeshiva, and I'm going to go daven there. And I'm going to go check it out. And so it was really interesting. This is also like kind of tangent. I went there the first time. I went there was like on Friday, Friday morning or something after Shachar's, just to like see where it was and who to speak to. And as I was going in. Couldn't get in because there was this old kid. I have no idea who he was till this day. He must have been like 98. He was being wheeled in by a, with, with a wheelchair. And the whole time he was laughing. He was not the Saba. We're talking about 2005, 2003, really. 2003. I think the Saba was not there already yet. But he was laughing, old kid with white beard. And he was talking to this, this smarty young teenager that was schlepping his wheelchair up. He goes, let me tell you. And he was telling him in Hebrew. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. 
Why did it say that in the next word in the in the future, Sheikh's times, everyone's gonna be laughing? Why? Why is it laughing? Why? What's so funny? What's so funny? He was like this real character. I have no idea who he was till this day. And he said, I'll tell you what. Because you see these old people in the wheelchairs, Sheikh's gonna come and they're gonna be healed like that. You guys are all dancing there. You know who's gonna come in the middle doing somersaults? Me. He said, That's gonna be the laughter. And he would start laughing. I was like, hey, Wow, who is this? I still, it's just welcome uh, to Breslau. Welcome to Breslau, exactly. And I was just like, Whoa. And I came to the shul. I spoke to some guys. They were like, Just come to the shul. Someone's gonna invite you out. You don't have to worry about food. Just come. It's beautiful. So I came that Friday night. It was off the charts. Like all of like the big Breslau and Mashpian were there because it's like too much It was like, I think we must have been seven, eight hundred people. You could barely move, and it was slow. You know the davening of Breslov, like in the in the shuls. Yeah, slow, but with focus, and that was like beautiful, and it was so loud and beautiful. And then something about also like the people there was just it was so eclectic, but beautiful. You know, like everyone, like there was Svarim, there were Ashkenazim, there were Hasidim, like real, like you were Hasidim, and there were like American Hasidim, and there were people that were wearing hippie clothing, and you know, obviously there wasn't a lot. It was like mainly Hasidim, but it was just, it was so eclectic, and everyone was, they had like their eyes were so alive, so lit. It, there was nothing like fake or like, I'm just doing this because like, yeah, I'm Brussels, you know, I have to do this, you know, I have to come short. No, it was like, I don't know, maybe it was just from where I was, but it was so lifted. And I was just, I remember just sitting, standing there during davening, being like, these are my people. This is like, I want to be with these type of people alive. And, and it's not like I made this decision there for wrestling, you know, like, it was just like something that went into my heart. Like, wow, these are awesome people. And then sure enough, this short red beard, bearish, He's the guy that goes around the shul. He's the sweetest Yerushalmi. He goes, can you please over for a meal? I was like, sure. Oh, perfect. Come with me to the over there. After. I go there. He gathers all the schleppers and the nebuchs and all these people. He brings them back to his apartment in Bati Umdan that was the size literally of, you know, four and a half meters by three and a half meters, you know, like 12, 12 square feet. And you know what, 120 square feet. A little teeny farm. He has benches and tables and benches and tables set up in every little way. And he goes, He's he stuffed 30, 40 people there and just starts singing this mirrors with such simple. It was just like, and I was sitting there, just wow. It was such an experience. And uh, I would say from there is history, but obviously there's ups and downs and this and that, but that was basically the time that I started. And then eventually I got closer to Chaim Kramer and eventually I got close to all the Svarim and I was able to learn it more. And then after that, to fast forward, I, I made a, a stopover by Rav Tzvi Meyer for a good year. I was there every Shal this six hours. It was an incredible experience. And, uh, and then I then to Rav Meyer, Morgan Stern. That was during the Tkufa that we were together in the old city with uh, the uh, beautiful Mr. Nagdam. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, we were. Yeah. Yeah. night we went to from Itchemeyer yeah. together. Yeah. That was, that was, that was amazing. She was night to see dancing and singing. <laughs> like, you remember my memories of that night where we got there, it was already pretty late. I remember walking into the base manager and it wasn't full. There was a couple of guys in the base manager. Maybe it was like half full. 
chilling. It was quiet. People, some people were sloughing and learning. And Rav Itchmeyer was in the in the Ezra's Nashim. Like the windows were those slidey windows. They were open, and he was in there by himself, all dressed in white, learning with like the shine on his face. It was gleaming with sweat. Right. And I, I don't. And then all of a sudden, he jumps up and he runs into the basement. And he starts grabbing everyone to get up and run around the start singing and dancing in a circle for a few minutes. And we're like all running around. And then he stops and he goes back and he sits down. And he's learning. <laughs> and he did this and it was repeated like several times. It was such a trip. Yeah. 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 Those were experiences. Richard Meyer's yeah. times was, yeah, like, <clears throat> was really unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I was going to come pretty close to him. I'll tell you one story that was pretty trippy now that, that, you know, he never remembers names. I don't even know if he knows anyone in his basement. Yeah, like he's in like world. Yeah, he's in another place. He's in another place. He oh, that's good. God, I can't drink that much. What's time? Time. I can tell you show them. But he remembers like kind of like names and the shamas, you know, like someone I know that's very close to him. He'll say like, yeah, it's uh, so and so. He's like, huh? And he'll say it's Hebrew names. Maisha, oh yeah, oh, you know, Maisha Ben, you know, oh, Maisha, you know, like he, he remembers the Shamas. So I was there for like six months, you know, like every Shalashiris, I was there all the time. But I still didn't know if he knows my name or if he even like recognizes me. But he knows my Neshama, that's definitely. So we were we were in the, this Chabura in the old city that was very Kineget uh, Chasidus in a very deep way. And one of the things that they were discussing that week was that you shouldn't bring kids, underage kids, to shul because they're nuisances. They just make noise. They just disturb davening. Davening is a serious thing. There should be serious people. When they're of the age, bring them. They're going to be quiet and shy. So I heard the, the point. And I was, you know, what, 21. I was like, that's a very good point. You know, I like davening serious. I like quiet davenings, you know, like focused. I don't need kids running around. So I was like, but something about it disturbed me a little bit because, like, you know, when you're a kid, you go to shul. You know, like it's part of life. Like, what, they're not going to see a shul until they're 13? You know, it's weird. I wasn't sure. And Ravitch Meyer walks home from his shul, from his stable then to his house in Ganagula. It's like a 45 minute walk as he walks like one step at a time. Really like, he just sways back and forth in his life. Like, it's a going up Bailan, the whole Bailan there. It was a beautiful walk. And I would eat by his house Friday night a lot. Um, so I was eating there and we were walking up the, and people ask him the most ridiculous questions there like why is the Gilgal who's the Gilgal and he would just give answers yeah I know Rabbi Kibos you're, you're, you're Shosh Nishama, so you're a bit like this and a bit like that he would, like, he would say wild far out things I never had the chutzpah to do these things I was very uh, timid especially around Tzadikim like that like I'm not going to bother him you have to have that certain Azaz to Kedusha with Tzadikim anyways so we were walking up the hill and literally, I don't know what we were speaking about, but like the, the question was roiling around in my mind, but I, I was too afraid to verbalize it. So then out of nowhere, he goes, he turns me, looking at me straight in the eye. I tell you this happened. He goes, you know, there was a shul in England that they said kids can't come. They disturb the daven. He's English. Yeah. He goes, they disturb the daven. You know what happened to those kids? They all went off to death. And I was like, I didn't even ask you. That's awesome. I was just like, okay, I got my answer. <laughs> no question asked, I have my answer. And you know, so wow. he was, he, he's like that, you know, he's, he's in Shamadik, you know, so 
it was very I was very close with him then in that sense like I would eat by his house a lot we'd ask him questions and stuff you know again like I don't know if he remembered me from that time but it was it was Nishamadik you know um but basically from that point on after that I ended up back in America for pay for Sukkis and I was like you know for Sukkis and I was at like a low point in my life I was trying to get married and things were confusing and and no, and Vichemeyer and this, these misnagdim. I was very confused, very like thrown all over the place in my life at that point. And so I just went back to America to regroup a little bit for Sukkis and um, ditched me. I ditched you. Ditched me. Yes, I ditched you then. That was a very good, bad thing, good thing. But um, it's okay, I forgive you. Yeah, we ended up getting back together a little bit. Yeah, yeah. but it was like, it was hard when you left because yeah. we were learning really well. Yeah, we were pounding. That was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And then you ended up coming to Nair Jake. Yeah. And trying to get me out of bed. Right. <laughs> yeah, that winter. That was that summer. Winter, Yoli was still there. You guys were by around no. Citron. No. You left after Sukkis, right? Winter's left... mine, you were in America that year. Yeah. 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 That winter, winter's mine, I was in Nair Jake. Elola was there oh. still, but yeah. Hmm. So this is your first year. I believe. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because I ended up going to Neryakov every morning right. and learning with Yehuda. Mm. Or right. hanging right. with Yehuda. Wow. No, we, 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 we learned a lot. We did stuff. Like, we also, we also, we also, we're getting, that's also when I started like learning Brussels. Yeah. Right. So I guess I, at that point, I had already rubbed off somewhat on Yaakov or. Totally. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was already like full blown Brussels for like a year or so. Uh, I went to Uman already in, in uh, Samach Gimel and Samach, Samach Dalit and Samach Right, Samach Dalit was your first year because right. that's the year that Gedalia was born. Right, and I missed his bris. Right, right, there was an Uman. Right, and that was Samach Dalit and then Samach Hay was my second year. And that was our first year. Yeah. Right, and then it was, uh, that was when I was super close to Richard Meyer, davened with him and everything. Right. And um, that was the only time I've seen or in my life. Like or. I came mm -hmm. to the, I dove in the clothes the first night and I came to the first year or second year, my second year, the, your first year, okay. the first time I was with Richard Meyer and he's diving in the coat room. Do you remember that of the scene? Do you yeah, remember what, that? One second. He dove in outside where the Nana Stavin. That was years that was later. Was later. It was, it was later. A few years. Not that much. Uh, no, no, a few but, years. But which coat room? The, when you walk in into the scene. No, no, it's a scene. When you're walking into Reb Nachman's cover. Yeah. So there's a huge outdoor area and then there's like a door that goes in. And there's right. like washing right. things. Right. It right. used to be little... called the coat room. That yeah. was his shul. Right. It's like literally the size also of like 12 feet. And he used to just put like a beamer there and he would just do his whole tefillah and everyone would like start. And then like everyone else is going into the scene. And it was a. Right. There's chaos. people walking through the whole time. <laughs> the whole time and like pushing and shoving it. It was chaos there, you know? It was classic where Richard Meyer like davening because I think he, he holds very strongly Davin, like Mamish as close as you could, and the Moroccans already have, not the Moroccans, the Kemanim already are Davin, yeah, the, the, and right. the Sephardim are outside, it wasn't no place, so you've you got the coat roof. Great, great stickle. You know, eventually they built like all these rooms, and it's become like a whole institution around there, you could have like your own area, and shul. And, right, he ended know. up moving right outside to the back, where the right. Hanachs were, right, right behind. No, but then and now they built him like a room there, like right, in the back, there's his own not there anymore. Now he doesn't go at all. Right. That's, that's different. Different. They built him up. They built him up. They he had his own room in the back there. Yeah. His own shul, basically. Like behind the, the, the nanas. No, no, no. Behind where like the outdoor area is, there's like a room. That was his area. Kitzer. So I walked in there and it was after the meal. 
four hours later. Not on the first night of Rosh Hashanah without four hours from Ezra, but apparently that was also four hours He was still a Shemeser. And I walked around him and walked in front of him. I looked up. It was the only time I, could, I can't describe it, just the aura, like spiritual light emanating from a human being. I was like, wow. I literally just stood there. He was just four. He was, and, and he went, I used to show him the moment, like literally like three minutes after I got there. He was at the end of four hours from that. It was just unbelievable. Get to that, that Rosh Hashanah, to, to make it sound even more interesting, not sound interesting, this is what happened. Arab Rosh Hashanah, there's a minute I get in Brasov to get pigeon nefesh. I didn't have much money, so I got some money sent up from America with a friend. And I said, send up 100 bucks. I want to give 100 bucks to Rabbi Shemayim. Uh, he was my rub, my connection at that point. And so the person that was there, he gave me a hundred bucks, but in two fifties, like works, same thing, you know, hundred dollars, two fifties. And I had it in my pocket, Arab versus Shana, and I'm walking down Pushkina and I bump into Avram Shimon Weingart. Avram Shimon, what's going on? And we already connected the last year, the first year in Uman, there was an epic connection with a big barbecue, so on and so forth. I'm not going to get into that, but there's, there's, um, He's like, I got to end with Ruff Kenning. Let's go. I don't know who Ruff Kenning was. I never saw him, never met him. I might have seen him, but I, like, I had nothing to do with him. But I knew he was a big Dalek. So I was like, cool. Like, he got it in. But come with me right now. So he slaps me. And we go up these steps in this building. And he's like, we're going to go and get pigeon. And I was like, cool. And I like, pulled out my wallet and my thing. I had 250s. So I was like, perfect. I'll give 50. So I gave 150 to Ruff Kenning. He couldn't see us then. I gave it to like the guy with our names and stuff. And I gave the other 50 to Ruff which was like, foreshadowing what would happen that year which is really cool because in wow in that year basically i went back right after shoshana to america and as the story goes Ruf kenig was in america at that point waiting for a lung transplant he flew to america because he had a genetic lung disease 18 years earlier that was eating away at his life and he couldn't live anymore without a lung transplant so he was waiting in Muncie for a, for a transplant. He was at some guy's house that had a pool. He's very, very into the mikveh. Mark gets to go to the mikveh every day. So he was going in the pool. It was getting cold. So Ashkach Pratas would have it. My dad has a mikveh in his basement, as not many people know, in Brywood, Anche Brywood. And it's a very popular place right now. Yeah. And at that point, it was very quiet. There was no one there. We had a minyan on Shabbos, Bekoishi, but that's it. Um, <clears throat> There was still a beautiful mikvah, though. My father built it at the house. And oh, good times in the Briarwood mikvah. Yeah. <laughs> Hot, clean, private mikvah. Yeah. No. He, um, he said at that point there was a guy in Muncie that had an ankle bracelet. So he was embarrassed to go to the mikvah. He asked my father. He didn't really know my father. He said, Can we use the mikvah? So he started using the mikvah. This guy was close with Rufenik. So they made the connection, like, oh, it's getting cold. Why don't you go to this private mikvah? You have a lung disease. You don't want to be in a mikvah with 30, you know, whatever, sickly people. Go to this mikvah. And it's private. It was a whole avoida. So I remember I was just sitting there. It was the Shabbos in between Kippur and Sukkot. And someone just came upstairs and was like, Rekinik's downstairs. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> like, Rekinik downstairs. I was like, oh, my gosh. I, like, run my clothing. I don't know what I was wearing. Ran downstairs. He was already in the mikvah. We waited. <clears throat> And he came out of the mikvah. He had double oxygen. He had an oxygen thing like this, if you remember. And he was basically not living. But he would go in the mikvah. It would be a huge avoidance. He would literally go in with his oxygen tanks, hold it up like he would like put it on the side, hunk, hunk, 
and he, I don't know how many dunks he would do, maybe wow. three, and then he would come out and he would be wheezing for like 40 minutes. 40 minutes, <laughs> he couldn't move. So we met him, we sat with him, we said hello, and then he started coming to use the mikvah more and more and more. <clears throat> Each time he would come out, he couldn't do anything, so he told us, me and another guy, another guy, read the Kutumar. So we'd open the Kutumar, and we'd learn the Kutumar with him, we'd read it. You know, invariably we'd have questions and we'd ask him and he would like pull himself together and he would answer us. And that was the beginning of our relationship. It was like, wow, you know, like sitting two or three people and learning with Imran for an hour with Kennedy. It was amazing. And, and then I would start asking him questions about my life and about things. And I was very confused also because of, because of Miss Nagdim and Breslov and, and marriage and everything. And he would just give me these beautiful answers in his way. And um, that began our relationship and with me, which would be as like a Talmud eventually, and with my family, which would be also like as like a connection. Like my father says, Breslov is the last name, you know, it could be Lutzvish Breslov, Satmar Breslov, right. you know, so my father is Heimish Breslov, I don't know, you know, he's, he's his own thing. He's not Breslov, you know, he's just doing his own thing, but he became Klein Breslov, very close to the Rukhanig and the family. And who came up with FOB? Friend of Breslov. Right? Yeah, my dad definitely says that. I don't know if he came it up. So he, um, we ended up becoming very close. And at a certain point around Rosh Chodesh Kislev, Rav Koenig was living in this uh, this person's house in Muncie. And the person who moved into his basement with his whole family, Rav Koenig was living on the top floor. And it was just not like the best situation. So my dad was like, we have a basement. We have a shul. We have a kitchen. We have a room. We have a mikvah. Like, Tell Rav Kenick to come here. He wasn't, he wasn't Breslov. He wasn't like, but it's like my parents are big balichesa. They love to help people. And my father loves Rebbe's and things like that. And I remember there's the only time that I've seen my father do this. My father, Baruch Hashem, you know, he, he works, he makes money and he, he, he does tremendous chesed. But to do something with your hands is like different. Like I've never seen really my father like take things with his hand and like do. But one time the Telus Iron Rebbe came to our house and he came at 1230 at night. My mother couldn't stay up anymore. She was like, go to sleep. I don't even know when he's going to come three, you know, Rebbe's. So my father and I stayed up and then the Rebbe came out and talked at like 1230 and by the time he settled in his room and everything, it was like one. And my father quickly ran to the fridge, took out a piece of gefilte fish with his hands, started cutting it up and serving it. I was like, whoa, I've seen my dad cut a piece of gefilte fish with his hands, like, you know, like serve it. I was like, wow, this is so cool. It made an impression on me, like, it's a Rebbe, you know? Like, How old were you then? No, it was like I was 19, 20. It was like shortly before then, you know. I remember because the because he went into the rabbi, he says, "No, shidduch, shidduch." You know, my father was always asking for shidduchim and brachas and stuff, which is another great story by by Richard Meyer, by the way. We were once the Richard Meyer that winter when I was in America. Richard Meyer came to Laser Shiner's house, and me and my father went in. No, it was a different time when we went in with, with Richard Meyer. It was in Israel because I remember he was in his study there. He has like this study with like a gazillion swarm all over him, and my father said. You know, he's not getting Shidduchin. Breslov, Breslov, it's not a good name. What should we do? And River Tamara leans back and he laughs. He goes, <laughs> he goes, let the bad ones fall away. <laughs> he laughed. He laughed. I was like, oh gosh, that's not the answer I wanted. <laughs> you going to tell me, you know, like, put yourself together. You know, you don't have to tell everyone you're Breslov. Let the bad ones fall away. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. So, so he, um, we went to um, what's called 
So that, that winter, he, he ended up, around Rosh Chodesh Kislev, Rav Kenig, uh, he, he checked it out. He ended up moving into our house. Now, at that point, my, my father and mother had made in unchangeable tickets, not like post-COVID where you could just change tickets all the time and it's not a big deal. They had made plans to go to Florida for two weeks. And that was like their vacation and they had tickets and everything. And that was right the day that Rev Kenny was going, they were flying out. So they were like, really? It's a good thing you're here. The house is yours, take care of the rabbi. I was like, ah, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. So I was just like, basically became his shamish. Like he had a gabai and he had his brother and he had his asidim that were there, two or three of them. But I was like the point man. And I was like getting everything organized and together and everything. And for two weeks we made Shabbos together. We had meals together, everything together. And it was just like, wow, it was just unbelievable experience. And it began our relationship, but he was dying before our eyes. It was an incredible thing to see. It was terrible. Like literally he was just every day, he would just get weaker and weaker. He couldn't lift his arms, you know, like certain days he couldn't get out of bed, like lift his arms. There are people that said that with such oxygen levels in his blood, you, most people would be fainted and half unconscious most of the time, but Rav Kenig would push himself. And he told this to, I think to Rav David Sears once, he was just like, like, whatever you can do, just do it. If you don't have energy for Likuta Maran, because it takes a lot of mindfulness to be in Likuta Maran, so just read Spurmaisius. And he, he had someone sit there and read Spurmaisius for him. He went through the whole Sefer during that Tukufa. They would just read it for him. He would just sit there like, listening to it, you know, like whatever he could do, I remember. And like one time during that Tukufa that was really hard, uh, Srili Willerger came. I remember all the, all the singers came to, to be Masameachim. Merchabed David, Avram Freed came, Avram Freed was dancing and singing. And like, they, they give like these insanely awesome performances and there's two people there. It's amazing. I got such respect for them, you know, like really like amazing what they could do, you know, and so Srili was there and he was giving a performance, a keyboardist, and then he was dancing, singing, and doing everything. And the Rav was sitting there, he couldn't lift himself up the first like 20 minutes. He was just sitting there in this like, 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 um, what are they called? Like the lazy boy chairs. And he just like, and slowly, slowly, he started to tap his foot and started to tap his thing. And 45 minutes afterwards, he was like, it literally like gave him chiyas. It revived him. He looked like he had more blood in his face. And it's really packed with the steam, got brachas and smoked him. He left. Second he left, he told his gamay, he said, just enough energy. I want to do something, Kedusha. I want to go to the mikvah. And it was like 30 more feet. He made it there. He went in. You know, he did his avoid in the mikvah. And he came out and he was like collapsing. And you know, he learned with us. Yeah. Wow. He was always like literally just... Do something, whatever you can, you know, like you're feeling like out of it today. Like, okay. That was Nachman's famous thing, uh, you know, you know, like a little bit is also good. Or Nassim said it changes life. You grow up in like the yeshiva world. It's like, you're, you're, you're a failure. You're not learning Ian. It's the case though. It's Gemara. Isn't that good? No. You can learn Ian. You know, like, like the Nachman showed us that like, no, Whatever you do, whatever you could do, do that. And like with Simcha, with all these things, you know, like just grab the little pieces. And when you grab the little pieces, it brings you to the bigger pieces. And, you know, and just don't get dejected and rejected on your own self that like, ah, oh, well, I can't do that, you know? And it's such a big klipa, and especially in the day, in today's day and age that like, you know, we just get so caught up in the perfection, especially since the world is very perfect, quote unquote, you know? That we live in everything's about perfection you know who cares 
dog. You know, like everything should be perfect. Everything should be stable. And we live in a world like that. So we get caught up in that with our Yiddishkeit. Right. I don't know if Yiddishkeit was meant to be like that. You know, like is a reality. It's not like, oh, never that tzaddik fell. <laughs> we all fall. We'll rise and we fall. And that's part of life. And when you grab onto the little things, it seems like, come on. Between me, what are you doing? You're listening to someone say Supermaisis. It's stories. And then he went and there was a wagon, he fell off the wagon. You know, and you're not having big kavanas. Whatever you could do, whatever you could do. I don't know. I, you said he learned supermises. I'm like, oh man, that could go way deeper, especially for someone of Kenny was learning supermises his whole life. Right, right. You know, you can imagine where he's going right. when he hears the stories. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was a big tzaddik and a big, big bow hasaga. I, don't know, I feel like though that he did like even though I didn't know him nearly like nothing. I only know we all, I only know him through you, and those few times that we had like the things. But there was he always had a simplicity to everything. It was so simple, and so like I'm sure like I, you can't talk about that and 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 give over give that over unless he really lived it. Like I'm like I believe that and maybe maybe sometimes he was also like like Rabbi Meyer is like always like. Yeah, he's just sometimes able to be so present just with hearing a story. Like, I believe that he was able to listen to a story and just hear the story right. wow. yeah, on that level. So and I think that that's a, like a god. I think so too, just we have no idea. That's right, that's true. We have Accepted. no idea. It's funny you mentioned that because I have this question in my mind, and I think I have a mahalach, but it's definitely open for debate that. A lot of tzaddikim are rich Meyer style. And when they look at your forehead and they tell you things that you're thinking, they're reading your thoughts. You know? <laughs> they're holding a Kabbalah. They're holding it Sitkas. And it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. They're using it for good. They're using it to help people. I'm, I'm down with that. You know, like I don't like going to the people that are like taking $400 to do that. Right. It's like, wait a minute. You need $400 to read my palms? You know, like give me energy boosts. Like what, what is this? You know, so I don't get, I don't, I don't like that. But Rebbe Meyer is in a different world. So, and then there's other tzaddikim that are very simple, you know, like they learn Gemara and they're Erlach and they give you sage advice. And then there's tzaddikim that I don't think they know Kabbalah and they're using Kabbalah and reading yourself, but they, the Ruch HaKadosh just flows. And with Kenny, I don't know if he, I think he was both, because like there were times that like he said things that were like just a little uncanny, you know, but I think a lot of it flowed just from what you're saying, simplicity. And I've seen that from other breasts of like tzaddikim that are not necessarily famous. You just speak to them and they just give you like Ruch Kodesh. You know, like they start telling you things that you're like, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa. That's what I needed to hear. Yeah, Ruf Kenik straight up read my mind. Yeah, like, yeah, I, the experience that you had with Rich Meyer, I had with Ruf Kenik in your house, in the basement. You remember when we had that? I told you, you were a love, the, no? No, we didn't. No, we, was, we had um, uh, Hespedus Kabura. Oh, the Hespedus Kabura. Yeah, and, sure. and Hespedus Kabura. And, and he sat there and I was still first this is my first year or second year out of Nayaka. you were still raw very raw yeah, very that. raw very and raw. i was sitting there and he just straight up was just like every thought that came to my mind that i was just like and if you're thinking and i can think that <laughs> i can sweet like sing song and if you're thinking that this maybe is not you for tell me the whole story yeah you... so I, i'm trying to remember what it was it must have been does it make sense that this is the summer of oh five like between your first and second year yeah. Going to Uman? I was no, I didn't know him yet. It was, was the it? summer 05. I got married in 05. So that summer I was still in America with Rev Kenning and you guys were all there. Right. I think. 
Oh, so this was already the after I got married in the summer of 05. Okay. I'm almost sure that's the when summer of 05. Yeah. So you after his operation. It must have been right after, yeah, months yeah. right after his operation. Operation was that winter, right? Right. Hey Shvat. Right. So right. So it was 04 of so wait, so you the first year that you went to Uman was 03. Mm, and then 04, because it, it was you met him after your second solid. after your second Uman. No, first. After his first Uman. No, your after the second. After my Rabbi Rabbi was my second year in Uman. That was Samahe. I hadn't yet met the Rav. Samahe was 04. Okay, so my first was 03. Okay, so yeah. first was, that's a, okay, so 03, 04. And then, so I came So my first year in Israel was 04, 05. Your first time you went to Uman was 03? Must have been. That was, must have been there two years oh, before us. Two years before us. Yeah, okay. it could be. Yeah. Because yeah. Akiva came that year. Akiva was a yeah. year after you. Yes, Akiva came that second year. Yeah. I, remember, I don't remember you guys. I remember you guys no, right. after I was married. Your second year was with when Gedalia was born, my right. son Gedalia. Right. 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 And I, he was, and the bris was... Right, you weren't there. And then the, the bris set, was, that it was year. a three-day yant of Rosh Hashanah, two days, and Shabbos, his bris was Shabbos. Right. The next right. year, I started going to Uman. Right, right, right. So that makes sense. So so this is, the, I had not been to Uman yet, and we're back in, we're, we came, I was like working that summer, and Yaakov had like begun to like open up Breslov a little bit. Open up like we were first. We were also even before that. I was getting into like I see this a little. We learned Svasemas on the phone and like just exploring it. Like momish periphery, like music, Sinai Tor, Shavi Keller. Like I couldn't even handle like Dagan yet. It was too like <laughs> way too Breslin for me. Um, but just opening it up and that summer we were there and like meeting Rav Kenning was crazy. And it was right after after the surgery, but he was still always with the oxygen or most of the time with the oxygen, at least when I saw him. And uh, and we would come and we would do the spiders in the backyard. I wasn't like barely even like doing anything, but the spiders in the backyard, and I, and that somehow you guys like got me into this like the spiders chabura, and and like when he was talking about it, I remember I, I wasn't even sure like I wanted to do it, and he was talking, and I'm like sitting there like okay, like I don't think this spiders is for me, like I'm not ready. And so then he goes and he picks up his eyes and he goes ah, and like in a sweet sing song like super mellow like. And if you feel like a spider, this is not for you because of this reason. Mm. And this, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, but I have this issue. And he goes, and then he looks, he goes, ah, and if you feel like this, <laughs> and he just, I just sit down. I was like, it turned white. I was like, what is going? Yaakov turns to me afterwards. He's like, what just happened? I'm like, dude, he was just reading my mind. Like, I was crazy. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I'm telling you everything that I thought he was answering. It was so crazy. The so, to balance it out, I remember, I don't know if I'm getting the story a little wrong, but that summer, that time that you were there, you came in one time with both of your thumbs. Yes. Broken. In, I don't know, broken, bandaged. Both of your hands are bandaged because you were working construction. Yes. And I remember you said to Rob, what's my Tikkun? What am I doing wrong? And you were like crying. To and I remember, I think he said to you, be more careful. Right? <laughs> yes. And that is you're working construction. Just be very careful. And then we were like, Oh, <laughs> I, never was, I totally forgot that story. Not like but... the Zao or the Ak connecting with the, you know, like, no, no be more careful. That was his simplicity, you know, like. Right. It's so funny because I remember, I didn't remember that part. Now that you said, I remember, I was just telling some of the, my friends, what happened was I was using a a uh, a big jackhammer and I had to pull, like, bend the thing up to switch the bits and my thumbs got stuck in it Oof. and all the skin got pulled Oof. off. So it's crazy. I, I remember I came in and I broke my thumbs. You're like, crazy. Wow. I remember he said, be more careful. That's so funny. You know, and that was his thing. He was so normal and everything was so straight. And then that, there was flowing Rosh It was a beautiful tukufa. 
eventually, as the story goes, he was literally dying in our house before our eyes, and he he was not getting a lung transplant. But then, as the you know the the night of Parshas Bo, literally when the Geula happened, it was Heishvat Tavshin Samachay, I guess, and he um, he would sleep downstairs. I would sleep upstairs, but every week he would he would be insistent to my father that he come upstairs and eat with us. My father's like, you have your own place downstairs, eat. I want to eat with the family if it's okay with you. Like for sure, we would be honored. He knew it was an honor to my father. He went to eat in our dining room. He would schlep up. He had a, a 60 foot cord. He would schlep up the steps and eat with us, you know? And it was amazing meals. It was amazing times. It was like something that we were never used to. You know, or Kenneth meals were like quiet, meditative, singing, joyous, focused, like avoid the Hashem. It was like, Americans, where's all of them to the drink? You know, none of that. It was like, Reading, focused, singing—it was like simcha, but like whoa, a different world that we were used to. Uh, eventually, my father chilled out the meals, and he would start like talking and edging on the rub and like getting him to like say things. You know, it was it was funny. My father's like that, but that's the way it was. It was beautiful, exalted meals. But that Friday night, he came upstairs, and it was a strange Friday night because there was not a lot of people there. Usually, there were 20, 30 people at the meal. That Friday night it was literally me, my parents, the rub. I'm not sure if his wife was there. No, his wife was not there. His brother of Yitzchak, his Gabai, his son Yossi, and the Reb Mitzrebetzin. Reb Mitzrebetzin married the Rebbe, Reb Mitzrebetzin, the Heilige Reb Mitzrebetzin, when he was 88, to try to have children. And she stayed with him till the end. And she loved him and gave her whole life to Reb Mitzrebetzin, to the Rebbe. And she was a very special woman. So we all, we made Kiddush. But before Kiddush even, when we were doing the pre-Kiddush Zemiris, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Something's wrong. So we all like jumped up. Maybe someone's standing on the on the cord. It was like this long cord. We checked the cord. No one was standing on it. It was blowing oxygen. We felt it. So right away, his guy ran downstairs and got a, a pink and just opened it on full blast. And he's like, oh. like he caught his breath. He couldn't breathe because his lungs were degrading before our eyes. And with that, he was able to like breathe enough to say kiddush. And challah came out, he washed, he ate like a morsel of challah, probably just a kezayas. He didn't touch any food for the rest of the suda. And as he made, after he made that kezayas and he ate the kezayas, the Rebbe Tzarevitzin, who was very animated, starts giving him brachas. He says, the Rebbe, when he passed away, he said, I have the courage to give you brachas. I have the courage to give anyone brachas. I give you a bracha. You should live in Gesundheit. And she gave him this huge bracha. She was a very animated personality. And she gave him this beautiful bracha. He just smiled. You know, like after the rest of the meal, she was silent, and he goes after a very short meal because his mom couldn't handle anything. He goes down to his room, he used to sleep with his light the light on, just in case the phone call for the long transfer got got on Shabbos, and he uh, he went downstairs to retire, and me and my parents and the Rebbitson went to the swarm room, and we were just sitting there learning and talking, and the Rebbitson said, "You know, I was quiet for the rest of the meal, which was very uncharacteristic." She said, because I was doing a spudus with Hashem, and I was screaming at Hashem the whole meal, in my own words. Dying before I see as a family, we had the kehila. He's a tzaddik. He's been serving you his whole life. Can't do this, Hashem. Can't do this, Hashem. And I was screaming at Hashem the whole meal. So that's what she said. So, around 11:30, 12 o'clock, we all went to our rooms, went to sleep. It was late. I was tired. 
I hadn't told this story to anyone, so this will be the first time. I told it to Shimmy Fried around a month ago, but no one else has heard this story. And I went to my room, and now I have a family, so I have tons of excuses not to do as much of this. At that point, I don't know what my excuses were, but somehow in life, we always have excuses not to do as much of this. You know, like, I could be on vacation. I have to be with my wife now. You could be there. So at that point, I was single, not doing anything, not part of a coil, not part of a yeshiva, but I didn't have any time to do as much of this that day. So I get to my room and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some as much of this. But it was 11.30, 12, it was 12 o'clock and I was really tired. So I sat on my plush carpet floor and I just started doing his doses, you know. Shem, Shem, I love you. Help me. Please help me. And I was doing this for like 10 minutes, you know, you know, like I, I said, I'm going to do a half hour because a lot of times the fast and like the fast, you try to do an hour, it's not going to happen. Give me a half hour, Shem. I was doing that. After like 10 minutes of doing that, I was like, something hit me. And I was like, if you want to go to sleep, go into your bed. If you want to do it, this, stand up. And I jumped up and it gave me such a, like a, it just like popped into my head. Like, just do it. Like, don't do this wishy-washy stuff. Go to sleep or do this, both this. So I started pacing my room and, I, you know, and I was just speaking and the words started flowing. Like everything just started going. And, and I just started telling Hashem, Hashem, it says, you gave me a Rebbe. I was broken in the mirror. I was searching. You gave me a Mahman. A Mahman is a Rebbe. I love him. Everything. I, I, I have no words to thank you, Hashem. Like, everything. But it says, I say the Harav. I say means in the physical reality, you have to have a rough. Not a Rebbe, a rough. Someone that can just help you out. Like, what do I do now? Where do I go? What's the proper balance? Where do I send my kid to cater? The Nachman's going to help you, but, you know, sometimes you just need to speak to someone. So now I finally find someone that I think might be my rough, and you're killing him. You're, you're taking his life away in front of my eyes. Hashem, please, just, like, help me out. And I went to sleep. 3.30 in the morning, I get a knock on my door. Yoel, and the Koshif is a Columbia. I was like, what? Like, this guy was holding the cell phone. I'm like, it's Friday night. What do you want from me? He's like, it's a Columbia. It's a long, it's a I was like, well, okay. So I get this phone. I'm like, oh, like, what was it? This is a Karen from Lung Transplant, Columbia University. Um, are you, you're Lazar Koenig? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm representing him. He goes, okay, so write down this number and call because we have a long match for him tonight. I was like, uh, could you call it? She was like, do you want the lung? I was like, yes, I want the lung. Okay, hold on, I'm getting a pen. <laughs> I ran, I got a pen. I started writing numbers, you know, like it's Shabbos. It's not much there. Writing it with my left hand, I think, you know. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. And we write down the numbers and we go downstairs. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is like, the day that we've been dreaming of hoping for you know and I go downstairs and the rev's sleeping in his room there and for the weeks before um they've been singing this yiddish song and slow melodic yiddish song it has like 30 stanzas it took them an hour to sing him and his brother would sing it and we would all be like oh no oh my gosh not that one and they would get all inspired you know like emotional about it because it reminded them of Yerushalayim of 1932 you know like we were like oh my gosh but it was a beautiful nigan but it was just very long and oh so we get downstairs and we tell Rabbi Yitzchak, and Rabbi Yitzchak's like, okay, we got to go wake up the Rav. The lights are on again. The Rav was actually sleeping. I'll tell you the one hour of the night that he slept. 
and we walked in. I remember like following Rav Yitzhak, this guy by me, his son, and Rav Yitzhak just walks in and just starts singing. Hakani opens his eyes and he sees Rav Yitzhak. And he just got this. Like, oh my gosh, this is it. You know, like the moment of life and death, you know, like, and he just, and then he just went calm and composed himself. From that moment on, they made preparations. They did everything. And Rabbi just shook his head and nodded. He goes, yeah, and they didn't say a word. They're so Afghanic. They're so kind of people. They're like, they don't talk. They'll just sing a song and nod. And like, that'll be it. You know, like, that's, you got the point? Great. Wow. You know, we don't have to speak. You know, Altar Basicha, you know, and just and they um they got all the preparations and Rafkan was just calm the whole night. Whatever you want is good, whatever you do is good. And my father eventually came down and he burst into tears. Like I think the only second time in my life I've seen my father in tears, you know, and he was like rough because the rub started thanking him and saying goodbye to him. And burst into tears and he uh he said, No, you're not saying goodbye, you're gonna live. And he goes, just Hashem. Hashem could do that. Like Hashem is very good. Hashem is filled with chesed. You know, but he was saying goodbye. And before then, he would uh, he would he would wash his hands in a, in a kiar a little bit further out. And he was walking back with his oxygen tanks and everything. He saw me in the hallway and he goes, Eli, come here. And he brought me into the room and he opened up this little black Israeli sakit. And he says, this is for you and your father. Two invitations to his son Shimon's wedding, which was going to be in 10 days. And he said, I made you tzitzis. You know, Kenik has a special holius, a special way of wrapping the tzitzis. Agavorche, at that point, I was wearing tzitzis. <laughs> Every day I would pull out my tzitzis in front of Kenik, kiss it, and he doesn't hold a tzitzis necessarily. <laughs> so he just like, never said a word for three months, two, three months, never said a word. And then at that night, at that moment, he gave me a tzitzis, the, the bleed tzitzis tzitzis. He said, these are for you and for your father. I made them as a gift for you. And I was like, whoa, that's intense. And I took them, gave them to my father, and he eventually went off into the night. And I remember standing there in the freezing cold Muncie air, watching like the headlights recede into the distance. And it was 3.34 in the morning. And I was just like the whole world is quiet and freezing and here he's going to get a lunch dress. I was like, I just went back in shul and just started saying to Hillam and to Hillam and to him. His son was there. His son couldn't say to him. He was so more gosh. So he was just singing the whole night. He just sang the gunim of Osiris. He was crying and singing the whole night. Wow. And like, I was just trying to say to him, eventually I passed out for like an hour or so till Shachris. And the whole Shabbos, we were just on Shvilkas, like, you know, you know, like, and, um, Remember Matzah Shabbos, we just got the phone call like the second after Zman. We got the lunch transplant at like 10.30 in the morning and he's doing wonderful and he's recovering and we were first into dancing and singing and like thanking Hashem. And he recovered from that. He came to back to our house and we went to his son's wedding. We flew in there and we uh, literally... Um, and he wasn't there by his son's wedding. No way. No. Yeah, he just got out of the hospital. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was just an incredible experience. And from then, we were like super, super close. And uh, he lived by our house for the next year. And at that Takufa, I was dating. And, you know, I was having, what's the term in the Gemara? Place lace. 
they have bad dates. Come or rob. Place lace. Every time I come in the Gemara and I see place lace, and I see the Garashi says, "Come or rob, bad date." I was having a lot of place lace in those days. A lot of place lace. Yeah, lachaim, lachaim. For all those who are having bad dates, Shem should help that you know. Maybe this story can help a little bit for all those bad dates. Amen. Lachaim, lachaim. To have kenegs and shama and everything. The shama go ever higher.
and he just turns to me. This is this. He just turns to me. He goes, "He bought that tatalis cotton." This is what he asked me. He said, "Did you get my tzitzit that I gave you? You gave it to me." Right. Yeah. I was like, "Again, you know me. Very little Aziz Tigrisha have. It comes down from heaven sometimes." And I just got this bolt of Aziz Tigrisha, and I said, "Kim toda." Where's my wife? Why am I gonna get married? Wow. And I said that to him, and he didn't. He just looked at me with those eyes that only Rav Kenig had, that like burning eyes, and he looked at me with this strength and confidence, and he just looked deep into my soul. And he just said, "Lolly dog, lolly dog." He just said, "Just don't worry." Wow. He said twice, "Don't worry." And from that moment on, I still had bad dates. And I went back home and my mother was like, this is really nice, famous girl from Bisiago Vara Park that wants to go out. I was like, I am not a Bisiago Vara Park girl type of guy. And I was about to make my like classic stink and be like, can I find like a whole back and forth. And then he just, his words came, Lolly dog, don't worry, just stop. And I just smiled and I said, Sure, let's go out. <laughs> like, and I like went out. This girl, it didn't make sense. My mother was like, "Put the shotgun, say you should try it again." I was like, "Sure, let's try it again." You know, and I like, I just had this like, like relaxing wow. atmosphere because like I was always like so fighting and this. And then I would meet a girl, and maybe she's the right one, she's wrong one. Like it was always like sagas and intensity with that. And and I was just like, cool. And literally, the next girl after that, Bar Parker, was my wife, Bar Hashem, and we got. We met and it was Baruch Hashem, it was clear and, and it was beautiful. And we got engaged with the Rav. I think you both were there at the engagement party. I'm almost positive. Because it was it was right after Mayor Steinman's wedding, no? Uh-huh, yeah, it might have been like a few days. Mayor Steinman got married at the end of Adar. I know because I. Right, it was, pay, right, pay it was Pesach. Pesach time, we right? Nisan. Pesach, and he got. It was the first day of Nisan or like right. third so day of Nisan. Birth, so his wedding was at the end of Adar. Right. He came in early before the end of his man, uh-huh. and my wife. Right. And, we write, and then you got engaged right afterwards. And then you and stayed. You were like, then, let's yeah. stay till the wedding. Right. You stayed that whole time. Your wedding was in the summer. Yeah, June 29th or something. Yeah. Yeah, we stayed till after the wedding. Yeah. yeah. So that, and, and then, like, he was in Sada Kedushin, and it was the first wedding that he danced at for like 10 years because he couldn't dance or anything like that. It was wonderful. It was wondrous. It was the Shilav of Shiluv of. Simply Tzvat with Mordechai Ben David, and it was like an amazing wedding. Baruch Hashem. Those few months, I yeah, treasure yeah. those few months. Yeah. Like some, some of the well, best memories of my life. What like did we do that? Most transformative months of my life. Some right. of the most transformative months. Yeah, yeah. Every morning we'd learn with the Rav, we'd daven with him, and then we sat and learned together. It was almost the whole day. Just Two, three people, just us and their Kenig. Yeah. And he'd make us read the Lukutel off. Yeah. Davening, and I'm like, Reading, yeah, yeah, and then we started explaining this together and explaining this habura. It was an, an incredible thing um, to experience. And then for the years later, for all these years, Baruch Hashem, we were zeichet to, you know, carry on the connection. And um, then a couple of years back, I was already now two years, over two years. Um, that he got a little infection and this and that and back and forth. He lived 14 years on that lung. Um, for Yaakov Klein, the fundraiser from Svas, he is one of the only people that could probably figure this out. He was once sitting there and he said, wait a minute, give me a, give me a calendar. He starts flipping through calendars 
he says, Rav Koenig's father of Gedalia lived 59 years, eight months, and six, and six days. Rav Koenig, when he got his lung transplant, lived 59 years, six months, and it was something like eight to 10 days uh, before wow. the years of his father. And it says in the Torah that you should be Mahara, Pachuva, if you, you know, if you live the day, once you get to the years of your father. And when they took out Rav Koenig's lung, it was so shriveled and destroyed, they asked interns in Colombia, what, what organ do you think this is? And they said, it's a kidney, a liver. No one could recognize it as a lung. It was, it was shriveled and destroyed so much. And so they asked the doctor, how long did he have to live? They said he had two days. And a different doctor said he could have made it 10 days, but I'm not sure. The other doctor said two days max on such a lung. And nobody wow. knows how long the lung looked like that before. Yeah, right? but he was. Say, yeah, you know? but he was literally days away from expiring. Like when we saw him that Friday night, that's why the Rebbeim was screaming at Hashem. He didn't look alive. He looked like he was not there. Like he wasn't. He wasn't living. And not only that, the night of that transplant, there was a yid in Muncie and Askin that arranged the whole thing. He told me this afterwards. Every lung transplant that that comes through. They have to have three people on the table, operating table, prepped and ready for surgery at that moment. Why? Because if they cut one guy open, a lung could only stay for a certain amount of time, fresh and good and, and viable for a, for a lung transplant. They cut the first guy open, and for some reason or another, there's a little pipe that doesn't connect properly, and they see it's not going to go quickly. They go straight to the second operating table, cut the second guy. If the second guy does, or whatever, they go to the third guy. He was third that night. He was the third string Whoa. lung participant in that night and a lot of times they said that even right before they cut they have the last signature people back out people say i'd rather live another five months and die on the operating table and people back out so we don't know what happened to those two people if they cut them open or if they just backed out because they got scared or if kennedy didn't have a choice because he signed his life away to this oscar he didn't have a choice legally whether or not he would take money. He told my father, if it was up to me, he said, if I would have had strength, I would have run into the forest away from you guys at that night. He said, I was so scared. He told my father, this. Wow. Said, I was terrified. He, he didn't show it on his face. Calm the whole night. He said, I was terrified. He said, I could have died. You know, like you're going, that's why he was saying goodbye. You know, like, this yeah. is it. But he like pulled himself together with, with Amuna and with Bitakhan. Wow. He was third that night and he didn't have a lot of time left. It was unbelievable miracles. It was Bachatzaisa Then, this is another crazy part of the story. How, is, how do you get a lung transplant? You get a lung transplant when someone's clinically dead and they dedicate and donate right. their body to save people. They start with the retinas, then they go to the ears, they go to the, every organ that's non-functional, and then they take out the last two, are the heart and the lungs, the person dies, and they send these, these organs all over the country. His organ came from a guy that 18 years old that was a football player in Philadelphia. And that night, I think as it goes, he was depressed. He tried to kill himself. His parents found him and they stopped the bleeding enough that he was brain dead and he was never going to be in a living position, but they caught him. And his parents said they want to donate his body to save other people's lives. They flew it in a private jet. That's what they do. Or helicopter. I don't know exactly what it was. They flew it into Colombia and that was, he got his lung, his, lung, his lung disease 18 years before. He was diagnosed 18 years before, which is, the Gemara says, why is, you know, Maktan Rafua the Maka. Wow, so this guy lived his this whole life. guy. So as you mentioned before, I was always a filmmaker in my younger years. I used to carry around a little video camera, and you have like 70, 80 hours, which are totally off limits to the world. 
<laughs> from 18, 19, and 20. No one's seeing it. Don't worry out there. They're locked up, hopefully safe in the in the, in the safe deposit box. Great. Now you have to tell your mother to increase the security of it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which safe deposit box and which bank? I'm not revealing. <laughs> but the, the point is that I would always video things. So in my mind, as a video director, that would be like an incredible film to like intersperse scenes of this little baby being born to like non-Jewish Christian parents in Philadelphia and they're like holding him and interspersed the scenes where they're kind of going to the doctor for the first time with like a black beard a healthy but like you have some bad news you know like you have a genetic lung disease and then growing up and you just interspersed the scenes of like him growing up and him like slowly dying and then like the intersection of lives it's so insane to How think about it who it was you know that they um, the Askin knows about these things because he's very tight with the doctors. He, I don't think he knows his name necessarily, but he uh -huh. told them a little bit like the background, you know, like you're not really supposed to know details. Yeah, for sure, it's like. But uh, like he told them like the basic uh, Myron McCaimis, like it came from Philadelphia, you know, it was a healthy lung. Three weeks before, I think something like three weeks before was New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve is a big time of lung transplants because guys get drunk and they drink and drive. It's known as the lung transplant time of the year. It's pretty sad, but it's like an intense thing. Yeah. <laughs> but we were all excited. We were like, oh, Professor Kenny's gonna get a lung. You know? And they got a lung called to this Oscar on a, on a random night, on New Year's Eve night, I think it was. And it was a 56-year-old woman that was a smoker, and the lung was a decent fit, but not perfect. But they said you could have it. He turned it down. He said, I'm not giving him a directy lung. I want a good lung for him. And I mean, it's a gamble, you know, like, yeah, it's gambling it's with someone's life. But Hashem was on his side and on the mechanic's side. He got a 14 years he lived until this past two years ago where, you know, tremendous loss for me and for everyone in the world that was close yeah. to Rav Koenig. Um, you know, for me particularly because, you know, I'm kind of lost <laughs> searching and, you know, just really, really lost. But, you know, like I said, I've, I've released this on a couple of video clips and stuff that um, this was pretty, it gave me a lot of Nahama that I wore those tzitzis that we were speaking about for a year and a half. And then as I wore it, I saw they were really wearing out. Tzitzis don't last forever. And I didn't want to ruin it, you know, like I said, this is going to be my Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah tzitzis. And for the next 13 years or something, I wore it only Shana. And I, I wore it underneath, like I wore a separate pair of tzitzis on top because I didn't want it to get ruined and broken and uman and ripped and everything, you know, like tucked in, like my hidden tzitzis, my deep connection with Kennedy, and on Yom Kippur. And that went on for years. Then Kennedy passed away in Tevez, I believe. And that year, that was the year that we moved to Israel. And it was Rosh Hashanah that year was Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night, you could either do the Shalom Bias trip or the non-Shalom Bias trip. The Shalom Bias trip and leave Israel on Matzah Shabbos. Your wife's like, oh, you're such a tzaddik. You're staying for Shabbos with me. And you're only leaving for two days. Or I won't beat you so much this year because you're staying with me for Shabbos. Uh, you know? Or you could do like the, the Bacher trip. I'm leaving Wednesday night. Deal with it. It was a cheaper ticket. You know? I'm, I'm out for a week and a half. You know? So I was, I was doing the Shalom Bias trip. But my flight was literally leaving like two hours after Shabbos. So I had to zip, like everything had to be zippered, taxi ordered, flying out the door at 8.16. You know, the second Shabbos is over into the airport, 
you know. So Friday, I was packing and packing and packing and packing and packing. And we had moved six times in that year. It was a lot of, a lot of chaos. And I knew that I had those sitters in my sakit with all my things, like my white yarmulke for Uman. Couldn't find it. Look, under the bed and over the bed and in the cupboards and everywhere. I'm looking. I'm like, Hashem, please. These are my tzitzit. You know how much this means to me, Hashem. And Rav Kenny just passed away, you know, a few months ago, Hashem. No, no, you can't do this to me. I'm bugging the whole Friday. I get my stuff packed up. I come to Shul Friday night. I'm not going to have the tzitzit. They're done. Not having them, and I was so broken. I was like, like almost crying in school Friday night, and and I was just like, why do you do this to me? I'm like, you know, the first Rosh Hashanah. Then all of a sudden, this like thought came into my head. It was a, it was a, it wasn't a thought. It was a story that Rav Kenig's mother passed away a few years back, like seven, eight years before then, and she lived in one of the Meisharim areas. Okay. And the last day of Shiva, I decided I'm going to go to the Rav to see him. Whenever he was in Yerushalayim, I always tried to make the effort because I didn't really go to that all that much. So if he was in Yerushalayim or even Bnei Brak, sometimes I'd always make the effort to go to a weddings and bar mitzvahs and bris and just to say hello and get some advice and get some brachas and stuff like that. So I uh, I went to his mother's house. They said that he's dealing with some things. Wait outside. Wait outside. And he comes out after a couple of minutes. And he's speaking to me on the front like a little veranda the little porch there in Meshara. We went. We've, we've been, You've to, been to that house? Mother's house with yeah, you. that was. We met him. Yeah, uh, but the Vanga, one, yeah, one of these. Vanga, the Vanga. So, yeah, it was like, it was an epic house. It was one room. Right. <laughs> that was it. And the parents had a little thing on the side, and there was a little bathroom, and there was a little thing called the kitchen that I think was an extension. They used to cook out all, everything in the main room. Like, I think he had 14 kids in one room. With the kitchen, with the living room, with the salon, with, you know. Okay, we, we don't grow up like that anymore. <laughs> I mean, I only have three bedrooms. How do you expect us to live, Poppy? You know. Right. Okay, you're right. There's only three bedrooms in this zero. Like, <laughs> you know. But Baruch Hashem, they grew up like that. We grew up like this. We all have our challenges. Kids are so. I'm waiting outside there, and the rub comes out and he's speaking to me. And then one of the kids come out, and they're holding a scarf, silk scarf. And they said, this is a Rav Avram Sternarts' scarf. That Rav Gedalia, the Talmud from Rav Avram Sternarts, oh, Rav Sternarts was from the Gedalia Brussels. That was the great grandson of Rav Nassim. You're talking about, wow, Rav Avram Sternarts. And they said, this is his scarf that he used to wear. And they gave it to the Rav. They said, here, now you're going to inherit the Rav's oldest son. He's holding it and he's feeling it. And he was like, a spoil from it. And then he gave it back to them. And he said, and he said, for the Rav, you know, it's for you. Just give it to one of the to one of the And it made such an impression on me. And that moment, I realized Rav Kenning was pinning. And to him, garments were important. Like he even told me, like a few times, like when I was asking about Shrine or Bekacha, Daka remembers the first times we went to get Bekachas and GNG. We were like a little like punky and dudes. We were like, oh, we want to get Bekacha. Like I was like, Love these guys. That was a TNG Muncie. No, Muncie, right, right. Over there in the yeah. Robert Pitt Drive. Yes, Robert Pitt Drive behind the And we went in there and the guy was like, Oh, I love these guys. He was like, yo, we need to get Brajuka. We need to get Bankature. He was like, oh, I'll hook you up. Come on. Till this day, I go back, I still see that guy. We give each other hugs. I came back the second year I was married. And he looks at me, he goes, What's on my stomach? He goes, Everything okay at home? Wife's feeding you? Are you all right? Sean Bias? I was like, I'm good. I eat. She's good. She feeds me. I just don't gain weight. He's like, okay, just have to ask. I have to know. Great guy. Great. 
yeah so that was that was You're wondering a, if there's therapy in the Swedish world yes yes you come back you, a get, year. It in the you get it when you go pick up your <laughs> exactly. packages oh i've heard epic therapeutic sessions in the mikva recently i was in muncie for over pace out there were deep conversations going on yeah. Ooh, a lot of heavy stuff but anyway so i asked him a few times and he said listen it's important out like it lifts you up like if you wear a strimal you'll be part of a community and it'll lift you up is it yiddishkeit no but is it something that can help you yiddishkeit yes like he always put it in perspective you know and but it wasn't the main thing right. like and then all of a sudden it hit me that now his physical body is not here. And this year, those sitters that I felt like I'm physically connected to Rav Kennedy is not here because he's showing me you don't need that physical connection. You know, that's not what it's all about. Wow. And it was so crazy. And then the first time, this is like the cherry on the top of that story. The first time that I got to the Rav Kennedy's kever in Sfas. So that's its own story. But make everything short he's buried in a in a burial area in Sfas, right by the that my father bought as a burial place for our whole family he bought a bunch of plots there there's a whole long sipur yeah we have a, we have a place waiting for us we kind of wanted to be buried there in Sfas, in the old cemetery in the bottom right 10 feet away from our my my zaidi my zaidi um zaidi burger who you all remember as being that white beard and sitting and learning all day and very very sweet yid a big tzaddik, Rav Kenick had tremendous respect for him. He used to like literally shower him with respect and honor because he used to sit and learn daf after daf after daf all day for 35, 40 years. He just did that. When he wasn't shopping. When he wasn't getting coupons and shopping in ShopRite, right? Shocking the, 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 the people in ShopRite. They were like, you can't use so many coupons. He's like, try it. See if it's scan. Oh my gosh, you're the greatest. Like we would come out like $90. $48. They were like, I've never seen anything like it. He was like, that's right. Coupons. It's all about the coupons. You have to know how to do it. Right. But other than that, he was sitting learner of Kenny had tremendous respect for Zadie Berger. And Zadie Berger passed away a few years before, and he's buried right there. He always says he wants to be buried in Israel. I don't care where, the Holy Land. Not being buried in America. So my father bought those plots. He buried him. Of Kenny is buried literally four feet away from him. It's like a row in between Zadie Berger, Rev Kenny. And so the first time I came to the Kever to visit Rav Kenig, that I was there by myself, like davening, I walked up and I'm like standing there facing two farm. To my left is Zadie and to my right is Rav Kenig. And I was just, what do I do? It's my Zadie. He was a tzaddik. It's my Rav. It's Rav Kenig. And I'm like sitting there for a minute. I'm like, eh, eh, like uh, not a big deal, but like I was just like, uh, right. what do I do? All of a sudden I heard Rav Kenig speak to me not a Bosco, his voice that I've heard thousands of times before. And he said, get covered some Zayda. Go to your Zaydi, give him covered. That was Rav Kenig. And his voice was so clear in my head. That that's what he wanted me to do. I just went to Zaydi. Like it wasn't even, it was Rav Kenig. And I just went there and I dove him by Zaydi and then I came to Rav Kenig first. And I was just like, you're not here, but you're here. You know, and that's like, very powerful thing that I like still grappling with that he's mom is not here, but he's so much part of my life in so many different ways. Like literally I hear him still like in so many circumstances, like calm down, you know, don't do this, do that, you know, like, and it's an amazing thing. So like a person has to have a rub, 
and the person has to have that connection. He has to have that. But on the other hand, like when you do have such a deep connection, it stays with you and it, and it literally becomes part of you. And uh, yeah, that was just some of the recollections that you sparked off with your grafting muscle. Wow. You know, sorry for taking over here. The no, Race Brothers. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. My mom is like, oh, I'm so inspired and I'm so like, I feel like reconnected, you know? You guys were part of that those years. It was an amazing time and it was an amazing thing that you were there, you know? We like experienced it together at that it time. Was. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's what made me want to connect to Breslov, just being there and seeing somebody who was so, like you said, I hear, I hear certain things. I right. hear him thousands of times. I heard him tens of times, you know? There's certain things that I hear when I think of him. And the number one thing I hear is I can hear his voice going, reading and that line is like engraved in my mind. Wow. Yeah. You know, for me, I don't hear him. You know what I, you know what I have? I have him in the ear for it. And in one, but just going, hey, you see. Well, you still have him in the airport. He, there was one year, it was, it was, it was the craziest. It was the first, no. The first the year was the craziest. I might think it might have been. He went to Uman. He went to Uman the year after as long? Yep. He was there every year okay. since then. So, so that, that was my first time going. I don't year. know if it was our first yes. time going. Or yes. if it was that was year. my third year. I think it was the it first, was your year. first year. It was the first year. It was our first year mm -hmm. there. And we saw of Koenig in the airport. In New York or in Israel? In Israel. In Israel. In Israel. So. Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah, it was definitely in Israel. I remember because he was going through first class and we were walking by and he was like, and basically that year, we just like also just learning. We, we started learning Torah Vav uh -huh. like before and we were getting ready. We learned Vav maybe even before, but like Mamish through Elul, it was like. That was the second year. That was the second year? Yeah. So that was the year. Okay. So that was, so was the year. But still, like we saw him in the airport and he just gave us that back. And that, that year was very intense. It was. That year was year. a crazy year. And that experience was just, like, I just remember everywhere I would go, he would see me. And he would, like, yeah. every, I, it, in like, Uman. like six huh? or seven times throughout the entire trip. And it was a very traumatic year. I yeah, I remember you guys on the street. Oh, my gosh. I just remember walking down first. You guys were lying there on bags. There's like, oh, that was bags. the first year. That, that was, was also traumatic. traumatic. Oh, that was also traumatic. There, I mean, every time, <laughs> yeah. the beginning of going to Uman, every year was, was another trauma. Like, hardcore that. trauma. I remember and, that. But every, but, 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 but the whole time, every time I would see him, and he would just pick up his eyes. Like, I'd be in the middle of a crowd, and, like, even in the place. Like, he's, like, all the way over there, and, like, I want to see him. I want But, like, there's so many people that know him way more, you know, and they're, like, they're pushing. And then he'd look up, and he'd look at me. I, I really? hear, and he would just give me a little wave. Oh I was like, if he would look at me, like, what's in the I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It was we, were, we were together most yeah. of the time. It was I mean, crazy. We were like attached at the hip at that point. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh amazing. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it was just amazing. Like the whole, remember those waves, those little, the twinkle in his eye. Yeah. Always, always calmness. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't think there's any like it's a, he's a different he's like a type of tzaddik for me that I don't see a lot of other people that have that type of chill. Oh, you should have so that. much you know, that's everything. <laughs> yeah. Just like. Yeah. Nothing like I mean, look, after what he, I have no doubt that his experience, I'm sure he was like that before and he built it up, but living through that and experiencing and 
um, making that part of his life through his experience, like acting it out, right. living it, right? Like it made it took him to another level. Yeah, living and it. Once you will go through what you described, that fear of Mamish facing death and being able to do that with such yeshivadas, yeah, like afterwards. A lot, a lot fades away. Yeah, yeah what? It's like I'm alive. Right, what else? Yeah, you know, it was just a new level of just complete. Every time uh, that's I love. That's why I love visiting him. We went to. I remember visiting him in his father's house. Yeah, yeah. Going in there and just you come in and there's an energy of. Uh, right. Yeah. Not relaxed because no. you're going to a, a big tzaddik, but of calm, and confidence. Right. right. And simplicity. And simplicity. The, the noise just, just, yeah. And you just hear, uh huh. Like super present. You know, it was amazing also that, I mean, everything in Breslau and everything in Yiddishkeit is about balance. And I've spoken to people about this, and they like, they were all like in agreement in, in, in that he also had a Zerizus that was so incredible that. This was like an experience for me, Owe, to see him put on talis and tefillin. Because he had this yeshiva das, you'd think it would take him a half hour. It took him a minute and a half. And it was like, it's, it's impossible to describe having yeshiva das, but able to be doing something with energy, simcha, and quickly. It was just like this, like, whoa, it was right. incredible. And like, he had that, like, like energy, you know? But like, it was always with this calm. I don't know, it was just, it wasn't a chill. It wasn't like right. okay. you know. No, I, I was, like, it was just it was just a yeshiva das with zrizus. Right. It was impossible to describe. And by me, whenever I try to do that, I'm either yeshiva das, like lazy and or slow. I'm zrizus and bahal. You know, like bahal, bahal. I gotta get my children on. I'm late for davening. You know. Right. But he always had that relaxedness, and you know. And I got to sit with him in the cloys for nine hour davenings for like eight or nine years right. until I started bringing my kids to Uman. And the first like three years was really hard. It was just like, uh, uh, like where's the Kalbach songs? You know, like can we can we like move a little bit? But then I got into it. It's like the clays is slow. There's no singing. It's just melodic focus. And he would sit next. I would sit literally on top of Rav Kenig. We sat next to each other. He was always Machab and my father and me sit right next to him, and he just sits there. And there's a shots pointing to the words, singing along a little bit, but focusing. And it was just people are like very hush of Erlich, Abrest of Rechasidim, are sitting there learning in Daf. It's like four hours of shots. Let me learn the Daf. Let me learn some press love. Let me do some stuff, you know. Torah, you know. He sat there. He didn't open a safer. didn't open a Tehillim. Pointing the words to nine hours straight. Davening nine hours straight. Wow. And, and when I got into it, it was something else. To be able to dive in and to focus and to just, like you said, be present. You know, now everyone's mind from present. It's true. Thank God. And he literally, yeah, thank God. And he, but he literally, like, he lived it. And to experience living it is something that you don't experience. Well, like, that's why I actually yeah. wanted to hear just to totally switch things. That story that you spoke over, because it's one of the things that I always like, love. And that story from that you spoke over from Jersey with the water. Can you please say it over? Yeah, sure. It's like it just brought out this point so well. Whoa, I just feel like I'm just in this room. I know, I know. I can't get out of it. I have to like, it's so amazing. 
so I mean, I got yeah. I'm like, I'm like, with so many like you brought up so many different Repkenig memories. Also, yes, like, yes, yes. Yeah, davening in the clays also was just. I don't know for me also I, I i really learned to love davening in the clays and then at some point i just i was like i can't do the clays anymore <laughs> and uh like i don't know i think also like when i like th there's a certain like to me mysticness when i didn't know like i was there completely as a stranger right. i didn't know anybody and like so i was just completely in my own zone at some point i started to know a lot of people and then i started to know like more things than i wanted to know <laughs> and then suddenly it was like and do this you know <laughs> you know it's it's, it's the, that beauty of of the unknown simplicity yeah. right but um yeah so if we could jump into that into that story should we should we figure out like what our time frame is yeah, just 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 do, just just do the story and i'll tell a little bit more and then i think we're gonna wrap it up okay so so it was about well, three weeks ago i was with rabbi gerzi and and we were in a Kabura and um, we shared this story. And first of all, you should know also, like, Mamish has been, like, sparking so many things. I was so, like, it got me excited that you also tripped off it. Basically, you were sitting with Rabbi Singer. And I don't know exactly how it went. Maybe I'll, I'll embellish Rabbi Singer a little I'll bit. I'll embellish it a little bit. So Rabbi Singer is the original Pilsner Rav. It's Rabbi Gerzi, one of Rabbi Gerzi's Rebbe. He's probably his main, his main Rebbe. Um, and he lived in New York. And Rabbi Gerzi went. It's a whole interesting story how we met him. Bezrat Hashem will do a you know, do a, like a recording with Rabbi Gerzi. We'll get the whole background of how he met Rabbi Singer. I think we did it once a little bit. Right. So we, right when he he got to know him, all of, like his, he became like one of his like grandchildren. He calls him Zaidi, and very close. And um, and he learned like a lot. And now Zaidi, it was like one of these tzaddikim who, who from what I received from Rabbi Gerzi is that he's like. He was like involved with the old Nistarim. And he was like a, like there's a whole different type of tzaddik called like the Nistar tzaddik and what their zone is and how they like a lot of, a lot of like, you know, meditations that we do and things like that will come from Rabbi Gerzi. And a lot of them he learned from either from a different Rabbi, um, what's his name? Yitzhak Isaac. Uh, I forgot what his name was. A different tzaddik who was, who was a Talmud of, of the Piyasetzna or from, you know, from, uh, from Zaidi. From Rabbi Singer, of Yosef Singer, and so he one time was sitting with Rabbi Singer, and and he was like about to take a drink, and Rabbi Singer's like, "Don't drink, don't drink, don't drink," and so Rabbi Gershon's like, "Okay, he waits a little longer. He's getting thirsty," and like so he like tries to gently take the pitcher, and he's like, "No, no, no, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink," and Rabbi Gershon's like at some point like, "I'm really thirsty." Like he's like, "Can I just take a drink?" He's like, "No," and he pulls out a pen. And he takes a piece of paper and he writes drink on it you know i don't know if it was in yiddish or whatever but d-r-i-n-k right drink and he hands him the piece of paper and my brother takes the paper and he looks at it and he's like come on like what what is it because i would need a drink of water and he looks at me he goes it just it doesn't it doesn't nourish you words on the paper don't nourish you he goes ah he goes is chumish also just words on a paper because unless you experience it unless you drink it unless you actually ingest it what is it? It's just, it's just words on a paper. And, and, and many times, like, you know, like, 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 like your story earlier about the Hispaitidus, like you're sitting there, like, do I believe in this? Is it really supposed to change me? So get up and do it. If not go to sleep. Like, wh what is this joke? Like I'm like checking off a box right. on my to-do list. Exactly. Like it's not what it's about. It's about living and, and, and feeling it. Like when you learn a Pasuk Hamish, it, it could, it could nourish you. It could sustain you. Learn Daf Gemara, 
And if you actually allow it to change you, it changes the way that we experience reality. And that's what Torah is supposed to do. It's supposed to actually change us. It's not just something that we do on the side. I, I also keep Shabbos. Like Shabbos should transform us. It should right. like, you now are a different type of human being. You experience reality different when you feel that. That that point, that part of the story, I was learning the doc, this 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 Shabbos. And it had this whole thing that just like connected to it and sparked me like like you can't imagine that it said, first of all, Yechanan Ben Khurta, who was a gear because of the ox of some yid that he bought and wouldn't work on Shabbos, the famous kid story. I just read this medrash. It's a, it's a Gemara. It's a Gemara also. It's a psikta. Um, and what the, the, that story is from the from the medrash. And he became a gear because the he said, wow, this ox is keeping Shabbos and I'm like nothing with Hashem. He became a gear. He was known as Ben Khurta, the son of the shar, because the shar made him from, made him a person. A kitzer, that this gear is the one in the Gemara that says the following Gemaras. Why was the first base Mikdash destroyed? Because of Yilarayish, because Laman, and Avoid Zara. Why was the second base Mikdash destroyed? Because of Sinas Chino. Now these are Gemaras like every Rosh Hashiva, you know, oh, my boy size, Sinas Chino, you know. You know, like, this is a gear that said that was it. Quoted in the Gemara. Unbelievable. Kitzer, so I'm looking in the footnotes there in the article, which, Baruch Hashem, you guys have done a wonderful job with. <laughs> it was about an app was on Shabbos. <laughs> the, um, the, but no, it said, wait a minute. I thought that there's a different Gemara that says that there was a Pagam in Torah. So it says that the first base of Mikdash was destroyed because of a lack of Torah. If they would have learned Torah properly, then they wouldn't have, the Gila Rayas and Shukas Dhamim and would not have been enough to destroy the base of Mikdash, the Torah, the Koyach of Torah. So I was thinking about that and I was like, wait a minute. The second base of Mikdash was destroyed because it says there, even though they learned Torah, kept mitzvahs, and they did Gemilos Chasadim, three pillars of the world, Simaschinim destroyed. So it showed me from what Rav Nachman says, the famous Sichas Aran, that Rav Nachman says that, you know, someone asked him, How can I have a smother from Torah? So he said, Well, you should just look at Jews in a good light. You're like, uh, What does that have to do with it? Because he said, There's 600,000. Letters in the Torah, the 600,000 souls. When you look at a soul darkened, his letter in the Torah is dark, and this portion of the Torah is dark, and you're never going to want to learn. You look at Yidin with lichtige eyes, then the Torah is lichtige, and you're going to run after it. What's what that mean? That the Torah is a living organism of us, of our Nishamas. And therefore, in the second base of Mikdash, they had all the Torah in the world, but it was lacking something. Sinas China means that they didn't love each other. And that means that it wasn't Torah. It wasn't with that guy. Wasn't with the do with the with the water of the drink. It was with the with with a piece of paper drink, and you could take that piece of paper all day and take it and go chew the piece of paper and try to ingest it all day long. It's not going to satisfy your thirst, and that's why the second base was was That's why I was like, wow. But then Yehuda said the epilogue to that story, and I have something to say on that. Oh, so what was the epilogue? The epic epilogue from Abrace. Oh, that's <laughs> true. So that was also I was talking. I told over the story to Abe. You, I think you forgot even this also. So, by the way, quick footnote is yeah. that in in by Ravelsky, he doesn't openly like you know talk about Breslov. Now I'm dropping the secrets, right? You met Rev Daniel Belsky, yeah, yeah, for sure. And in L or maybe before Kabbalah, sorry, but he used to he always puts up stuff on the wall. One thing that he put up on the wall, we didn't quote where it was from, is that Sicha Saran. Mm. And he put it, and people were always like, "Wow, it's so amazing! Where's that from?" And I was like. <laughs> He swore me to secrecy. I was like, I can't tell you. It was awesome. 
Um, so so I, when I was telling over the story to Abe, and I told, I told this over that night, it's awesome that we like this whole connection. I told it over to Abe, and I'm like, Abe, can you drink a piece of paper? Like, and he's like, it's like, of course. Goes, what do you mean? A piece of paper that says drink on it? He goes, that's what we do. <laughs> you can get lifted. Like, oh, I, oh, I turned, but I had asked him, I said, Abe, if you get somebody give you a piece of paper with the words drink on it, you think you could nourish your thirst? And he goes, yeah, mamish good. You know, like that's almost what he does is you tell us you pick up a piece of paper and you mamish could drink you said, it. You said, you said, you said at the time, you said, if Yehuda Reyes gave me a piece of paper, I would be able to be nursed from the fact that Yehuda gave me a paper that said drink. So that, that reminded me so much yeah. of the next level, which is that the Torah has to be lifted. You have to learn the Torah. It has to be water. It has to be flowing water that you're drinking and you're quenching your thirst. But you know what? There's a level that you could just literally take the piece of paper and drink it. And it reminded me, this is Lahavdil Elif Alfi Alafim in the biggest, biggest way. There's our high school. There was a time in high school that we were Nebuch. We were into something called heavy metal. And there was a time that maybe we went to a festival that celebrated heavy metal. And there was a time at that festival that maybe so all the plausible deniability always <laughs> remains that there was a band named slayer and they were giving autographs and they were sitting there carrie king and jeff hanneman the lead guitarist and lead singer and they were sitting there and they were giving autographs but we were lazy so we didn't want to wait on a four-hour line so we were just sitting there standing there watching them we were like oh this is so cool we're like three feet away from them we can't get an autograph because there was like a gate and there were like bouncers you know but we were just like so close to them. And this, I guess, where some bad Aziz the Kedusha comes from. And then at, they were about to leave. They were like, yo, guys, you got to wrap it up. Okay, we're leaving. And then they were about to leave. And I just leaned over. I don't know if you remember this even. I wasn't uh, there. Oh, you weren't there. I might not have been there either. But <laughs> I might have heard this story from someone. Vicariously. Vicariously. Even mom was like, it happened to me. And... Uh, and I remember hearing the same story. Yeah. And I leaned over and I said, Yo, Jeff, who was drinking a bottle of Budweiser, I said, Can I get your beer? I just asked the lead singer of Slayer to have his beer. Like, and he just loved it. He just turned to me. He was like, Yeah, dude, sure. And he took his beer, chugged the rest of it. And he was like, Yo, Carrie, come here and sign this. And Carrie signed it. And Jeff signed it. He was like, Here, dude awesome stuff and i was like thank you man and i took that beer bottle and i was like oh my gosh now that this is beer but i got a lot more chias from that beer bottle than any beer i've ever gotten in my life now okay but if you want to take it alt muscle that everything we do and experience in life is for us to grow in yiddishkeit that's if you get to such a level of hashem's torah you could just read it you could just, like Nachman says sometimes, just read it, you know? Just read in Shnayas. Gemara, just read it. Because if you realize that this is... Ana nafshi ksavis Yehovis. I was lucky to write a book, a pamphlet, on the first Farrakha Pirkei of the Avos Anthology. I just printed up a couple hundred copies. I have it if you want. It's a beautiful book. I have it. It's yeah. great. Yeah, you should have brought one. I, I don't have one. I should have brought it next time. It's, uh, I, mean, I have... I have, you know, it, I was, I worked on it for years. Literally my kishkas went into that book. It's so much to write a book. 
like just preparing, figuring it out, and then writing it and rewriting it, every sentence, and then editing it and typesetting it, and then printing it. It was like, whoa, it was it's like such a process that when you get to that down first copy, and it was before Pesach, the guy in the printing shop said, I could only give you two copies. It's all the time I had before Pesach. I had two copies printed. The Simchavs taking those two copies was like, you can't describe. Wow. Like my kishka's in there. I had it in the car. My kids, my oldest kid was like six years old, maybe. Maybe, yeah, seven or six. And she said, can I have the book? I was like, you better be super careful with that. But here, I gave it to her. And we were sitting in like a parking lot somewhere waiting for my wife. And she just starts reading it. She didn't know what a word meant, my friend. She was, but she was able to read English. So she starts reading. In the Perkei Avos, we read. And she starts reading it. The Hana that I got wow. from my daughter reading my book without understanding one word was understanding of what Hashem could get from us just reading his words. If she would understand it. If she would sit there and say, let me really understand this. Let me review it. Let me make it an avoid that. Let me live it. And that's just a little taste of like what it means, what you were saying, to drink Tyra. Yes, you got to drink the actual liquids, the panemius. You have to understand. But sometimes you just sit there and say, Hashem, I'm just going to read your words. And that's the deepest connection. That that's Mama's drinking it too. That mom is drinking. Yeah. That's a, a bottle that could give you more nourishment on a piece Marvelous. of paper than anything. Hashem should help us all. We got to run. Time is of the I essence. Mean, I just want to add on one thing. I, yeah. I think that maybe that's why Rav Kenning wanted you to lose the tzitzis. Because he's like, if, if the tzitzis that he gave you is on the same level of the beer bottle from Slayer, it's still in this physical world. Like, you're not going to have a difference. Mm. But now you mamish had the tzitzis and you can let go of them. There's no panemius to the beer bottle from Slayer. No. You took, you drew it out. You took the story. I, you took I the actually mantle. threw it out one day. Right. I'm just like, right. But the story, but the story itself is now a muscle that lives on. Like how crazy is that? That Slayer now became a muscle for us to grow in our vote. Right. The Bipnemius. But now you might like the Tzitzis, like it's a different level, like yeah. with you on, on the higher level. It transcends the physical, but it imbues wow. it with our life. Wow. Shkayach, Rates Brothers, Yaakov, Yehuda, it has been beautiful yeah utterly beautiful yeah, i would good. just say we got to do it more often i mean part two we had so many questions that we didn't even like touch on yes so. exactly do it for listening thank you very much everyone yearly thank you so much this was wow so inspired i hope it, requ it recorded i hope so we'll see if it recorded maybe it didn't that's mm -hmm. happened before